God, we love you. We thank you for today, and we thank you just for a chance uh, to come together, God, uh, as, as people along the way. Lord, uh, as, your, as your children, as your family, Lord, as seekers, as doubters, as cynics, Lord, uh, knowing that you, are, you have ordained every one of us to be here, whether, whether we have an awareness of it or not, Lord, your hand and your will is sovereign over all of us. And so I pray right now just for your work to be done. I pray right now in a supernatural way that you would open our hearts and our minds and our lives, Lord, not just to the information of your word, but, Lord, to the transforming work of your truth as is, the, as is the expression of your heart, your character, and your will for our lives. So we come to you now, Lord, admitting, Lord, that we need you to speak. We need you to penetrate our hearts and minds. Lord, bring freedom where there is captivity. Bring boldness where there is cowardice, God. And let us just uh, live a life that uh, is surrendered to you for your glory. And, Lord, there's a life that uh, ministers your grace to the world around us. So we give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so a quick question to ponder. Which organization comes to mind for you? And you can just think on this. Um, when, you, when I ask you the question, who is the most influential organization that, that you know? What comes to mind? Everybody have one? Rebecca's got one. What's that? Red Cross. Let's hear some more. What else comes to mind? NFL, truly. Quite the church. Uh, what else? <laughs> Thank you, Neil. Can always count on you. That's good. Anyone else? School districts, hopefully, in a good way, right? I have a friend whose personal goal is to reform the entire education system um, in his lifetime. So that's, that's a noble task. Anyone else? United Nations, that, that came to mind. Some that came to mind for me, UNICEF, NATO, some, some things we know of, Living Water. I thought of Apple um, as far as shaping culture. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, that's a pretty active one. I'm going to read a description of an organization to you. I'm going to see if you can figure out which, which one I'm describing. Are you ready for this? Okay, it's a global enterprise with outlets in nearly every country of the world. It has hospitals, hospices, and homeless shelters. It does marriage work. It works to fight against mental illness and addiction. It works in community development and seeks to make business, seeks to make business leaders lead uh, who are not driven by greed, but rather to lead in a way of integrity and selflessness. It has orphanages and feeding programs. It has education programs. It does all sorts of justice and reconciliation efforts. Basically, it looks after people from birth to death and works in the area of complete personal transformation. Anybody guess what that's describing? The church. Amen. And that doesn't even suffice. That's just like what we could come up with in a bearable paragraph, right? But do we understand the magnitude of what we are a part of when we say we're a part of the church? Do we understand the magnitude of God's intent and design for what the church is when you think about the church if you're not familiar with it? I say in some cases, yes, in some cases, definitely not. And, and today, as we continue our foundation series, working through teaching through our statement of faith, um, we come to our statement about the church. So 
as an EFCA church, which is our denomination that many of you probably have never heard of, and if you've been here for a while, maybe you didn't even know that that's the, the, that's the de- denomination that we're a part of, but we are an EFCA church, Ev- Evangelical Free Church of America. Every church in the EFCA shares the same statement of faith, um, and so our, our statement comes from them, and so we're going to work through that today, and I say that because I think it's a great statement, it, um, but it definitely leaves out some language that, that is true to our culture. So today we're going to work through this statement um, pretty quickly as well as just kind of talk about the church and kind of what God's mandate for the church is and what our understanding should be for the church. So we're going to start with reading this statement about the church and then we'll kind of work through it. So it should be on the screen here. This is what we say we believe about the church. We believe that the true church comprises all who have been justified by God's grace through faith alone and Christ alone. They are united by the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ, of which He is the lead. The true church is manifest in local churches whose membership should be composed only of believers. The Lord Jesus mandated two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, which visibly and tangibly express the gospel, though they are not the means of salvation when celebrated by the church in genuine faith. These ordinances, these ordinances confirm and nourish the believer. So I'll say this about our statement of faith about the church. This is making a statement of what it takes for a church to be a church, basically. So if we want to say we're a church, these are the kind of things, these are the kind of the foundational understandings that we understand the church to be. It definitely does not articulate all that the church is to be about. Um, so we will kind of take some, some time just to dig into that a little bit more. Um, but, but to get to our statement, to get to this, uh, you know, every time I read it, I feel a tension. And, I, and maybe some of you felt it too. And my tension revolves around a, a couple of statements. And there's, and there's these statements that are, that are expressed that, that, that feel very unwelcoming. They feel very d- divisive and exclusive. And so I thought it would be good for us to start there. Just to kind of, because I, th- I think some of us maybe have our guards up now, hearing some of these things. And so let's just start there so maybe we can kind of let our guards down a little bit and, and come through it uh, in a, a little bit healthier perspective. So let's look at these couple of exclusive statements we see in our statement of faith about the church. The first one is the one that says, The church is comprised of all that have been justified by God's grace through faith alone in Christ alone. And so just to really quickly illuminate the and kind of make sure we understand the posture of this statement, it's not an exclusive statement. It's an inclusive statement. And this statement comes out of the reality that the church is made up of mankind. It's made up of human people that all the the redeemed in Christ and made new still contend with selfishness uh, and and, and our own kind of uh, motives and and agendas. And we are constantly fighting to surrender and, and say, God, your motive is mine. And, but yet, we're all, we are the people that make up the churches. And I, I know me, if, we just, if you are anything like me, our churches are imperfect. And our churches, uh, and because of that, throughout time, the churches have made division lines where they are not necessary. Unfortunately, we've dogmatized and deified preference and non-essential beliefs. What are you talking about? Things like musical instrumentation. I mean, to, to, there are churches that would say you are not a faithful church if you have instruments. And, and, and maybe you grew up in some of those churches. And again, there's, there's one thing to say we don't, we don't personally have a conviction there. It's one thing, another thing to say you can't be a true believer. Uh, and that would be a pretty extreme case. But yet we still see division over that. Um, 
or uh, the dress code. You know, Charles, my, my friend's always telling me I shouldn't wear flip-flops uh, to preach, and I love that. <laughs> he's giving my man a hard time. If he gives me a hard time, he's my bro like that. But he's always like, you can't. So today he was thrilled that my toes aren't showing. So all for you, Charles. Amen. The first time. <laughs> but again, like, so we see dress code. We see what day of worship, what day we declare to be the Sabbath is a, a place of division um, or, or the exhibition of certain uh, specific spiritual gifts to be a place of division. And I say that we should be people of conviction and we should have sincere and we can have there are uh, churches that have sincere convictions that are God honoring in this way uh, with each of these that I've listed, honestly. But yet we can, the problem is when it causes disunity. And so this is a call to unity is what it's a call to. When we see that our statement says the church is comprised of all that have been justified by God's grace through faith alone and Christ alone. This is saying the church, the foundations of the church are those things that are essential to salvation, are essential to the work of God's redeeming history in our world. And so it's a call to unity. And so when we think of the essentials, we think of that which is necessary for salvation, things like that God is a holy, sovereign God, self-sufficient in himself, that the Trinity of God is God in three persons, of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is the only way to salvation, things of that such. That is grace alone, by faith alone, and Christ alone. Non-essentials, again, we've mentioned some already. Some others that you've heard is, is mo- like, when do you baptize? Infant baptism versus adult baptism versus, uh, you know, b- believer's baptism. Um, things like that, or, or how a person realizes they need to be saved by Jesus. The churchy words for that is Calvinism or Reformed theology versus Arminianism, right? So who cares about those words? But that's, that's, that's what that conversation is about, is how someone gets to the point of understanding they need a Savior. Again, that is an extremely important doctrine because it, it goes around justification, which is the very work of Christ on our behalf, um, but yet it's one that we can differ on in unity. And so... This is a call to unity in the church, the capital C church, God's collection of all believers in all of the world, right? And then also it trickles down into the local church. And so we see this is a call to unity, um, and we see this grounded in the scripture, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so as the church... We want to all boast in one thing, and that is the work of Christ. And it's a call to unity to that truth, okay? So that's the first thing, the first kind of rub that I felt. The other exclusive statement that definitely probably jumped out at you even more is when it said, whose membership should be composed only of believers. Did anybody, like, have a little hair bristle on their neck when they heard that? Like, you know, because we think of church, we're like, inclusion, 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 Welcome to all. Come as you are. Didn't Jesus say that? Right? So, so what's happening here? So we have to understand the, the, the drive of what this statement is about. And so when we think about this, it's a statement of identity, not of the makeup of who is allowed to be a part of the activities that we do. We want this place to be a place where all feel welcome. Not just welcome that they're accepted, but that they feel safe to question. They feel safe to, some, to bring all their varied understandings and convictions and perspectives into understanding that we all are working together to submit our lives and understandings to God's absolute truth. And we say God accepts every one of us right where we are, but doesn't leave any of us 
in that same spot. Again, the work of sanctification, being made more like Christ over your, over your life and your relationship with him. The work of, of, of again, your, the image of God growing in us and expression of you as you mature in your faith, as you continue in that fellowship with him. And so to say that, to say that our statement says that membership should be composed only of believers, to help us understand what that means, we can look at two key understandings, two key, two key uh, variables that will help us here. And first is that we're made of members uh, of the, the, again, the capital C church, the church in, in all of, of the earth, the, all those who have called on Christ have a common faith. Uh, understanding that we were created by God for fellowship with God and perfect unity with Him. We rebelled against God, and in our sin there was separation. In God's great love and forbearance, He made a way for us to be saved, to have to be reconciled to Him in Christ. And to say that we are all a part of the church is saying that we have all confessed belief in Christ as that Redeemer, as that Savior. So that gives us this common fellowship, this common, this common uh, identity as the church, capital C. And so we see this in Romans 12, 4 through 5, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and then individually members one of another. And that's, I think that's what Nathan just read during the welcome. But we are made members by Christ. It's something that happened outside of us. All we did was surrender, confess, and believe. We are made members. It was a work done upon us by Christ. And so first, it is only possible to be, this in this sense, a member. We're not talking about organizational member. We're talking about the belonging to the, is the people of God that comes upon confession and belief. So Jesus achieved that work for you. And actually, you have no choice. If you made that confession, you're a member of the church, capital C. Everybody know what I'm saying, capital C, lowercase c? We're a lowercase c church, but we're part of the capital C church, okay? So... The other understanding I think is helpful is, although this is an exclusive statement, it is exclusive in the sense that a family is exclusive. And if you've been here for any amount of time, you've probably heard uh, us emphasize the value of thinking as a family, existing as a family. A family is dirty. A family is messy. It's not perfect, but yet they're committed to stay alongside one another. If a family if a family member gets hurt, they don't get to just leave the family. They're still part of the Now, they can go through some rigmarole of, you know, I don't know. There was some movie where a, parent, a child had divorced her parents at some point. I don't know. It was like back in the 80s. Um, I think it was based on a true story. Maybe not. Um, anyway, but, you know, like, but, but the reality is you can't stop being a blood relative. You can't, you can't change where you came from. You're always a part of that family. So when we think of this exclusivity, it's, 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 it's kind of logical and practical. So we look around us in our world, and we see a myriad of families. And, and while there are some families we look at and may think, I, I wish I were a part of that family instead of mine, or vice versa, we don't have a problem with the fact that those families are exclusive, that I am not a part of that family. Like, I've got my family. Janelle has her family. I'm not a part of Janelle's family. She's probably glad. You know, she'd have to put up with me more. But, but again, it doesn't bother us at all to think there's an exclusive claim. Janelle has an exclusive claim to her family over me. Now, I'm sure, because I know Janelle, and she's told me about her family, that if I were to go to New York, is that where they're at? If I were to go to New York with her and visit her family, they would be extremely welcoming of me, just from what I can tell. Not because of me, because of them. 
It would, that would be very much a work of grace. But, but again, like, the, I, they would, I know they'd be welcoming of me, but I would never be truly, like, as I am a part of my family or you are, we, we'd, be, we'd have that difference. And so thinking about us as the family of God, and we think about this exclusive statement about what it is to be a member of that church, that's what we're saying is that the church is the family of God, both capital C and little c. Let me walk through kind of the lineage of our family as all members of the church are blood relatives. Okay, we're going to see that here. We'll see that we are made blood relatives in the family of God. You see, we share the same father from whom every family on heaven and earth receives its name. We see this in Ephesians 3, 14 through 15. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. Right? Did that help? At least you know it's not from me, okay? So we have the same father. We share the same elder brother, Jesus, Hebrews 2.17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful, a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So that he is Jesus, the propitiation is the substitutionary work, the stepping in on behalf of taking the wrath that we deserve giving the righteousness that he had to us, giving us that right position in his family as a sibling to him. Uh, that sounds crazy. If this is, if this is all new, I, again, like, okay, so now we've got to work through what that is. Let that be an offline conversation that will inspire you to ask me to go get coffee and we can talk about what it is to be the sibling of Jesus. Um, next, we see that Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross has reconciled us to the heavenly Father. So the work of the blood here, Colossians 1, 19 through 20, for in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so now we see being grafted in and being actually made blood relatives. We share a fraternity with our spiritual siblings, brothers and sisters in Christ. So now we are brought into this together, not just to Christ individually, but now together to Christ. It says in Colossians 1, 2, To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So we see just this acknowledgement and expressing of this, this fraternity, this brother and sisterhood that we have as a family. And then we see this. We are reconciled to one another by the same blood of the cross. Ephesians 2, 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And the beauty of this family that we're talking about here, the family of God, is that there's always room for more. The house never gets filled up. God never says, mm, no, we're good. We're too busy. I don't have time. Let me take care of these. Let me get some of them out, and then we'll bring some more in. He's, he is calling us to himself. We are adopted into the family of God, Romans 8, 14 through 15. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, that's sons and daughters. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Daddy God, again, this, this, this intimate relational position that we've been given, this relational reality that we've been given in Christ with the Heavenly Father. And that's the work that is done in all of us, for all of us, through all of us. So here's the word of promise. 
it, but it comes with a word of challenge and charge for us. The promise, is, and this is really to those maybe who are, are seeking, questioning, maybe have not come to really under, like, surrender and believe in Jesus as Savior. Here's the promise is that you are invited into this family. Although it's an exclusive family, it is one that, unlike our earthly families where if I go visit Janelle's family, they'll love me like a brother, I'm sure, but this is different. We are fully brought into the family. We are made as sons and daughters. We are adopted as sons and daughters. That's the promise. You are invited in. You do not have to stay without. We are all rebels. We're all outcasts. We are all orphans. And in Christ, he has invited us in and can adopt us as sons and daughters. This family can be your family. And it's achieved in the work of Christ. So, if that's you, surrender. Surrender today. Come into the family. Simple invitation. Life-changing. Cataclysmic in a good way. So the charge, the charge. If the, if the invitation was to those who are not part of the family, we can assume the charge is to those who are. And if we're going to say that we are the family of God, and we're going to put this truth out there and put the picture out there of this caring, accepting, loving, sacrificial, proactive community, then that's our charge. It doesn't exist without you and me surrendering to that. It doesn't exist without us saying, oh, yeah, that's right. That's, that's, what I, that's part of what God has me here for. Well, I mean, one of the hardest things about the church is that everyone knows what the church is supposed to be like. And they come expecting that. But those who come and leave, one of the things that you hear all the time is that they did not feel cared for. And I think I'm getting ahead of my notes a little bit, but this seems like a good spot for it. And this is just an encouragement to us to understand the posture in which we need to exist. We understand, everyone understands that they have need. We understand that the hardships we face in our days, the discouragements that we face, the fears that we face, the, the, just the, we all know when our knowledge and our wisdom has met its end. We know when our, when our, our willpower is gone. We know, we, we know our need, the, the, the downtrodden, the brokenheartedness. We've all been there. And we come into the church where we're told it's the place to be cared for. And, and this is where it is extremely difficult because, again, what's the church made up of? You and me. So I am here in my need. Jordan? I'm sitting next to Jordan, and he's got need. And if I sit here next to Jordan, and I'm like, Jordan, meet my need. And I, well, once my need is met and I'm healthy, then I'll help meet your need. What happens to Jordan's need? Like he, and if he's in the place where he's thinking the same thing, well, I'm in need. I'm broken, I'm downtrodden, I'm sad, I'm, broke, I'm, I'm fearful. I need you to help me. And he's like, once I'm healthy, then I'll help you. So if the church is supposed to be this family of, of loving, sacrificial support and care that, that we see in Jesus, but yet we come in saying, okay, this is the, I see this beautiful picture of the church, I want it, so come meet my need. There's something, that's the extreme difficulty of what we are venturing into. We get the value of it. We get the beauty of it. But yet, oftentimes, we miss that we are the ones to facilitate the value and beauty. And so what is the answer? 
man, submit your needs to one another. Like, let's, let's do that. Let's come to one another and say, hey, I'm dealing with this. Man, can, can we pray together and take it to the Lord together? Can we come to the Word together and find God's truth for us together? And also, at the same time, give up yourself. And like, again, this is, we need the Holy Spirit because, as you can tell, this cannot be prescriptive. It's not like I can lay this out for you and say, okay, here's your recipe of when you, because we all come to these seasons of extreme need, whether it's a death in the family, a loss of a job, a new marriage, new baby, um, just some crisis or transition. We all come to this place where it is valid to say, like, I have nothing to give. And you just get to be kind of splayed out before your people. And you, man, praise God. Like we, this morning we were praying for a buddy of ours, Mike, part of the, a brother and a friend of ours in the church who's in the hospital right now. And just getting to go, I mean, he's stuck in the hospital with, with tubes and so, you know, with a feeding tube in and he's kind of recovering. Like he... He needs us. Kurt and Mary, I hope this isn't too personal, but Kurt shared this morning that they went to visit him last night and went to pray for him, pray with him, like to pray that prayer of encouragement and healing. And he leads out and Kurt said, what did he pray for? He prayed for Kurt and Mary Ann's baby that they're about to have. Like that's the picture. Like he's in a great time of need, but also he had this, un- I probably wasn't supposed to share that, but it was just a beautiful picture. Oh, see, I, I saw a head shake, and I couldn't tell if it was toward me or not. Um, <laughs> in a small room, you can't hide. I'm sorry. Um, but that, again, like, uh, we can't do that on our own. We can't know, like, okay, well, uh, now it's time for me to, the best thing I can do is meet someone else's need, and that'll take care of mine. Again, I, I don't have it all figured out. I struggle with the same thing. But that's what we're, that's what we're invited into, but that's also what we have to challenge we have to face. Like, we are the very thing that God wants to administer his truth and grace to the world in, the world through. We are the very thing. You are the people that God has given me to come and lean on and lean into. But also, he's given me me to you. And that's applied universally. So, I say that, I think, to encourage. But I know it's hard. And I just want you to know that I know it's hard. So I don't sit up here as one who is like, we experience this perfectly. And, and if you're not, there's something wrong with you. I get it. And so let's just commit to that posture and that way of life, understanding to cry that I'm not being cared for. We can start with ourselves. Are we caring for those around us? Um, and let's be really proactive and, and intentional and just thinking about the beautiful work of adopting being adopted into the family of God, like I, just we see pictures of it here in tangible ways. I mean, the Stoles adopting Sadie and the Janots fostering Devin just recently, and like to think about, you know, that's as close of a picture as we can get uh, to this adoption that God does for us, to where they are bringing these beautiful children into their homes and into their lives, and they are. It, it is as if they are blood descendants that they were they came from them i know that that's their heart i know that's how they are loving them and giving of themselves and so just hear the invitation also hear the challenge and hear the charge and and let's humbly and intentionally try to to live this out and embody this as god has given us just practically a quick a quick kind of commercial break a practical implication on on how this helps us understand our our expression of 
kind of the bridge mantras to membership. When you think of being a church member, if you grew up in churches, maybe you've heard that. We have that. We don't call it membership. We call it partnership. Not because membership is bad. We love it. But because of what I've already stated, we feel like that's a work accomplished in Jesus. He is the one that made us members. So, so in kind of the same heart that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, in Philippians 1, verses 3 and verse 5, it says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And so what we just as a church, what we call membership is partnership because we we appreciate the, the convictional choice to partner in a common purpose, a common familial identity um, in unity with a common uh, foundational truth in Scripture. And so that's what we say. We're, we're The one prerequisite we have, just like our statement says, is that you would be a Christ follower. That's the one prerequisite we have. Be it that you surrender your life to Christ because we're saying that this is true of us. Then after that is can you commit uh, to a common mission in a common time as long as the Lord has you here uh, in unity. It doesn't mean that we're homogenous. It doesn't mean that we're just a bunch of yes people. It means that we come in with our diverse perspective and we submit all of our convictions and understandings to Scripture together, trusting the Lord and Holy Spirit to lead us in unity. Um, so that's what partnership is. We would love for uh, all that consider this our church home for any length of time to consider partnership. You can go to our website, read more about it. There's partnership handbooks. We'll tell you a lot about it and kind of tell you next steps as well. Also, feel free to ask any questions. So that's a quick commercial. Not trying to like pad a, a moment just to gratuitously talk about partnership. It's important. And you can and we can talk more about why it's important to greater depths if you like. Um, so all that. <laughs> I only have two more pages of notes, so we're doing good. I think, and these are, <laughs> all right. Um, so the next statement we find in our, in our statement we're going to talk about today is that we are united by the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ of which he is the head. All right, so let's unpack that quickly. And now let, let me just remind you, we are teaching this in the context of our entire foundation series. So we have a, a, unpacked a lot of this to great extent through some of our other uh, sermons throughout Sundays, teaching on the work of Christ, the person of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God, man, the scriptures. So a lot of that is unpacked to an even greater extent. And I'm even kind of presenting this in a way that assumes some of that understanding, knowing that not all of you were here for that. But feel free to go back and kind of dig into the archives on our website and or the, there, we're actually in, in an iTunes podcast now, so maybe you can find it there easier. Um, but you can go back and listen to those uh, as well. But, so we're looking at united by the Holy Spirit and the blood of Christ, of which he is the head. So let's start with Jesus as the head of the church, and then we'll, we'll, we'll look at the, the unity of the Holy Spirit. Okay, So to say that Jesus is the head of the church, we don't just mean that he is the peak to our org chart, right? Which he is. We'll, we'll give him that, too. He is the peak of our work, but we're not just saying that. See, when, when Paul led the church, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. He was confessing that he had no authority of his own. He had no knowledge of his own. He had no ability of his own. He had no conviction of his own. It was all given by God, facilitated by the Holy Spirit, and, and, and made possible through Christ. And we follow the person of Jesus. And so he's saying, follow me as I follow Christ. So Jesus is our head pastor in that sense that he has shown us the way, shows us the way, has worked that work in us. Um, and to say, you know, that it's not just our, he's not just our org chart, uh, he, it's, it's way more organic than that. And I don't mean that in the hippie way. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> I, I used to get called candles and sandals at the other churches I worked at because I was, I was too organic and I, Charles know what I mean. So, uh, but I, I mean that 
in the source of order and the way of life. Um, see, we, we can see what the headship of Christ means in seeing the seamless union between Christ and the church. From, and this is from uh, Timothy Savage, who's a part of the Gospel Coalition. If you're uh, following along in the Bible app uh, live event, this is actually in there for, for your references. Uh, if you're not, you can just open up the Bible app, search for events. And uh, if you're in there, hit save because you won't be able to access it later once once we end church. So if you want to be able to access this list later, hit save. Because we're not going to read all these passages, but I want you to hear uh, kind of the, the, the seamless union between Christ and the church, uh, where it comes from the Word. So first we see that the church is the body of Christ, and Christ is the head. That's in Colossians 1.18. Next we see that the church reverberates the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. That's Ephesians 1.19-20. Next, we see the church personifies the love of Christ. That's Ephesians 5.2. Then we see the church manifests the fullness of Christ. Colossians 2.9-10. That's right in line with what Nathan read with us later, earlier in Romans 12, to see the diverse giftedness that God has given us through the Holy Spirit gives us a fuller expression of the image of God. The church has made the new man that measures up to the full stature of Christ himself. Ephesians 4.13, he achieved in us what we couldn't ourselves. The church is also distinguished, a distinguished form, uh, is distinguished from Christ in that it is his, the, the, the church is his bride. So the church is distinguished from Christ in ways as well. And first is that we are his bride. We see that in Ephesians 5.25 through 27. We see that Christ nurtures and cherishes the church as his own flesh. Ephesians 5.29. It is the repository of his Father's wisdom. Wisdom. So the church contains and, and gives out the Father's wisdom. Ephesians 3.10. The church is where God receives all glory, and the church is a beacon of divine light, a foretaste of heavenly glory. Ephesians 1.18. Uh, throughout our kind of time as a community, you, you may have heard us mention that the church is meant to give the world a tangible picture of the promised kingdom of God as we live in ways that exhibit the character and heart of God and the grace of God expressed in Christ. So all of our identity and activity find their beginning in Jesus. That is what it is for Jesus to be our head. He's also the goal of all of that as well. So then we think about Jesus being our head and how that leads to a unity of the Holy Spirit. There are two works of unity in the Spirit. First is the common need and the common hope. We see this in Ephesians 2, 17 through 18. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to one Spirit, to the Father, right? I've heard that before today. So we have a common need, a common hope. That gives us unity of the Holy Spirit. Next is the very literal sense that God has given himself to us in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that empowers and compels us to his will for our lives. Again, this last week's sermon will be really helpful with some of the understandings here. 1 Corinthians 2.11 says this, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So because he has given us himself in the Holy Spirit, we can work and walk and do in unity, live in unity, because his thoughts are now being made our thoughts. Our wills are being conformed to his, and he works in unity through his people. 
Okay, so that's, again, that's a lot and a little. So what is meant in our statement when it says the true church is manifest in local churches? Okay, now we're going from capital C to little c. Uh, this, and, and just quickly, let me say a couple of things, and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap up. So we are all one church, right? Everyone who was called on Christ as their, as their Savior committed their life to Him. We are one church, all of just the same kingdom purpose. I, I, I love the thing you'll hear here. You hear here. We say, "What's good for the kingdom is good for us." Like that's that's a great truth. Like because we're all we're all here for the same purpose to glorify God and to love God and love people. Plain and simple. So we're all one church, but the worldwide church is only all that it should be through the viable and vibrant local church. The expression of the global church is only as impactful as the expression of each local church, the collective expression. So we are a local church. We are a people called together for a specific place in a specific time. That's, that's what makes us us. And that God, by his work, has brought us together. There are, there are other great churches around here. And I often come to the moment of like, why did they come here? Like, I would go to that church. But I remember, like, it's because God, I love one of the things that Dave Tenney said to me in the early days. He said, I was having like a crisis of confidence. He said, he just remember, God called us to be a part of this separate of you. And man, what a word of comfort. And, what a, and man, what a humbling word too. And that was, anyway, so we are a local, as a local church, our people called together for a specific place in a specific time. And we as a local church are, are a smaller part of the whole work of the capital C Church. And just as the global church is only as healthy as the sum of the local churches, and only as faithful as the local churches are, the same is true of the local church and those who make up the local church. So we, the Bridge Montrose, are only as healthy as the Christ followers that make up this church, the Bridge Montrose, and we are only as faithful to the mission of God as the sum of those who make up this church. Does that, does that register? Does, it, does that connect? I feel like that was a little bit of word twisting. But just to say, it's, again, we make up the church. If, we want, if the bridge wants to be a, a church that impacts the community, if the bridge wants to be a church that's loving and accepting, if the bridge is supposed to be a church that is God-honoring, glorifying, if the bridge is supposed to be a church that, that has a high view of Scripture and a, low view, a high view of God and a low view of self, it's only the expression of the collective of those that are part of this community that confess Christ. So we each have to commit our, our lives to that, to that way. Because again, just as the local church is a smaller part of the whole, so are we. Whether it's just uh, our participation or the work that we do, any, any ways that you serve in supporting the family of God is a smaller part of the whole. We're all on the same mission, same purpose. In a few weeks, we're going to teach from 1 Corinthians 12, which is uh, kind of a parallel passage to Romans 12 that Nathan read today, uh, and we'll probably even touch on Romans 12, uh, to see God's glorious design for the local church uh, in September. So we'll get to digging into this even more. And so a quick word about the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper, um, seeing that this was kind of the last statement, the last kind of section of our statement, saying that Jesus mandated two ordinances, two practices that should be present for every church. Um, the, the Lord's Supper and baptism. Um, we're a people. We're a people brought together by the work of Jesus. Hopefully, that's kind of the message that's getting across as we see that His work made us made us members of the body of Christ. His work made us a family, adopting us as sons and daughters. These two ordinances 
these two ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper are for the sole purpose of helping us remember the work of Christ and testify to the work of Christ in our lives and for this world. So a quick word about baptism. We here at the bridge, we have the conviction of believer's baptism, meaning it's, it's a personal choice and testimony done after you have surrendered your life to Christ. That's what, that's what we practice here. Uh, and to say that, it is a testimony of the Christ follower that they have died to self in their surrender and been given new life in Christ. This new life is one that we experience in our new hope as well as one we commit to in our pursuit of righteousness. So we see the testimony of baptism testifies to the truth we see in Romans 6, 1 through 11. We're not going to read that whole thing right now, but write that down, Romans 6, 1 through 11. In that passage, we are told that in Christ we have died to sin and we were raised to walk in newness of life. And so the symbolism of baptism when we go under the water is that, that, that symbolism of dying to ourselves, dying to sin, uh, just as Christ died and, and died and took on our sin. Uh, so in that death, we are freed, uh, we are buried with Christ and are freed from sin and death. And in the coming up out of the water, we see the picture of Jesus defeating the grave, defeating sin and death, and being victorious in life for eternity, and saying that we get to participate in that victory as well. So baptism is that testimony. I have seen that I am, that I am a sinner and that I need the redemption of Jesus, so I die to self and I am raised with Jesus to a new victorious life, both in this life and eternity. So baptism is a testimony. We actually are going to have our first baptisms coming up, and I know that there are, uh, are a few in the community that have been talking about that, praying through it. And so, uh, it, or if you've come to know Christ uh, just kind of recently in your journey, um, let me know, let Karen know, so we can kind of talk about if this time, this, this first baptism is one for you to participate in. Um, so exciting, exciting times. Our other ordinance is the Lord's Supper. Baptism and the Lord's Supper go hand in hand and that they achieve the same purpose. In taking of the bread and drinking of the cup, we are remembering the work achieved in Christ by the shedding of his blood and the breaking of his body on the cross. So we remember that Jesus died our death and gave us his life. So these ordinances that are mandated is, is, is not so much a rule to follow, but saying you, as an identity, as a people who have experienced the grace of God shown in Christ, who have tasted death and now tasted life, this should be just a natural part of who you are, that you are constantly baptizing those as those share their testimonies of their coming to Christ and finding life. As you, as you break bread together, you should do it in a way that you remember the provision of Christ as your, as your substitutionary sacrifice, as your, as your atoning work on your behalf. So it's not, just, it's not just a rule to follow. It's saying this is a natural expression of those who have tasted and seen. This is the church. So again, today, we are, as the church, we are a people. Uh, we are made members of the body of Christ in Jesus. As a local church, we are called together for a specific place and a specific time, still for that same purpose. And, and the church is made up of us. And so if we want it to be what we think it should be that we see in Scripture, it takes you surrendering your life and setting your way toward that. That's, that's it. So that's the church. 